to grab a copy of God's Word this morning. We're going to turn open to the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning we're finishing out Matthew chapter 16, which I'm going to save the last verse until next week, but Matthew chapter 16, and this morning we're going to look at verses 24 through 27. So Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. Let's go ahead and let's pray before we open up God's Word this morning. Lord and our God, even as we have just sung, great is your faithfulness. We pray that you would be faithful to us this morning, that you would not abandon your people, but that you would speak to us by your word. You would take these eternal truths, that you would reach out to us with them, that you would shape us by them you would challenge us through them, that we might give you glory. You are faithful to do so. We pray you would be faithful to us this morning. In Christ's holy name, amen. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27, this is the holy and errant word of God. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what should shall a man give in return for his soul. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Look at this text this morning. The question is, how do you follow Jesus? How do you follow Jesus? This is a serious text, and I'm afraid too many, even Christians, don't like texts like this, don't like sermons like this. We like the idea of following Jesus. Who doesn't like Jesus? As others speak about following Jesus, it often sounds pleasant, even tranquil. But then we read how Jesus speaks about following Jesus, and that seems far from easy and far from tranquil. We want the honey. We don't want the bitter herbs. I don't want to pull any punches this morning. I want to look at this text As it is, we have too many preachers, and we have too many churches, and we have too many Christians acting as though the Christian life is something you can casually engage in, but you can't. We seek to follow Jesus, we seek to follow Him often using the world's rubric and the world's terms and the 
world's means, what works in the world we think should work in the Christian life. Jesus doesn't call us to the way of the world. Neither does he call us to a life in him by the means of the world. Neither does he call us to himself as an add-on as we make our way through the world. When he calls us, it is a complete call. It's a way of life. It's a new life that's vastly different. So what does it look like to follow Jesus? From our text this morning, he gives us three things. It's self-denying, it's cross-bearing, and then what I would call persistent plodding. Self-denying, cross-bearing, persistent plodding. Let's take a look. You remember the context. The context is helpful. Jesus has just rebuked Peter because Peter had rebuked Jesus by denying that Jesus must walk down the path of suffering and sacrifice. That is, the path of the cross. And sacrificing himself for others. And suffering for the sake of others. And even experiencing death. But Jesus had to bear his cross. And now he makes it clear that his disciples must also bear their cross. In many ways, we could sum up the Christian faith in this way. It's a faith that revolves around two crosses. The cross that Christ must bear and the cross that his disciples must bear. He suffers to bring us to glory, and we suffer to bring glory to him. How do we do that? We want to know how to do that. Because the Christian's heartbeat is More glory to Christ. We want to see Him glorified with all that we are. And so we want to know what it looks like to be His disciple. What it looks like to give Him glory in this life. What it looks like to have a life that actually matters. So first, the Christian disciple is marked by self-denial. self-denying to follow Jesus. Jesus here is speaking to his 12 disciples, but he's not only speaking to them, he's speaking to any who would be his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This call is not simply for the apostles. This call is not simply for pastors and elders. This call isn't simply for super Christians. This is a call for anyone and everyone who would follow Jesus. If anyone would be my disciples, let them deny themselves. It looks like this, self-denying. You think this is not a, a worldly winning strategy here if Jesus was doing a poll or If he had an advertising agency that was working for him, they would say this is an absolute misstep. That you make this a requirement at the very beginning, Jesus self-denying. You be you is often the refrain that we hear today in our culture. You be you. That's deadly outside of Christ, you be you. Discipleship is... About self-denial, this is what Jesus calls us to. That word denial 
is used again in Matthew. It's used in Matthew chapter 26 multiple times. Where Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me three times. Where Peter comes back to Jesus and he says, I will never deny you, Jesus. Same word. Deny yourself. To deny ourselves in love for Christ and in love for others. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's not self first. It's self last is the way of discipleship. But here's the reality, isn't it? We, we all have this, this ugly monster within. This self that likes to raise its head. And it likes to demand from others. It likes to demand that we get our way. It likes to demand from God. Brian Regan, that uh, comedian, he, he has a wonderful skit where he talks about the me monster that comes out. The me monster. Johnny Cash used to sing about the beast within. Desire to place self first. It asserts and it demands all affections and all love. Deny it, Jesus says. And we don't even as disciples, it's, 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 it's not as if we can, can continue to feed that me monster and keep up our love for God and our love for others. That affection of self will drive out love for others and love for God. even as a long-time disciple of Christ, to, to begin to allow that, to, to assert authority and to, to distance us from love for Christ and love for others. And we fall into this kind of lukewarmness in our Christian life. Usually, others are the first to notice it. Because it's often subtle often something that just comes incrementally, but always it's progressive. It's often imperceptible unless you are on guard against it, unless you are actively thinking about it and seeking to fight against it. Recognizing that if we aren't progressing in Christ, we're actually backsliding in Christ. The Christian life is an active life. It requires continuous self-denial. It requires effort. It requires attentiveness and striving and straining to use some of the Apostle Paul's words. Or as he says in Philippians 3, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Such pressing, such straining, such striving requires self-denial. We're all spiritual athletes, dear Christians. Spiritual athletes. 
And so we have to consume a healthy diet. We have to feed upon loving Christ and loving others and push away from the table when self-love is served up. There's a lack of self-denial. It makes spiritually flabby Christians. Self-denial is a way of life for the Christian disciple. It isn't a one-time event in following Jesus. It's daily. It's, it's thinking less of myself and thinking more of Christ and thinking more of others. It's a daily, active pursuit. Arthur Pink once wrote this. He said, growth in grace is growth downward. It's a forming of a lower estimate of ourselves. It is a deepening realization of our nothingness. It is a heartfelt recognition that we are not worthy of the least of God's mercies. Less about me. Do you think less about yourself today than you did last week, than you did last month? you did last year than you did a decade ago? Do you think more of others in yielding yourself in service to them? Do you think more on Christ and what it is that would glory and give glory to Him in this moment? We want our heart and our minds more and more to think first of others and of Christ, to serve others and to serve Christ, to look to the interest of others and to look to the interest of Christ, and not to bow at that altar of the me monster. As Paul said there in Philippians, he said he did not reach that perfection, but it was something he was aimed at growing in. Step by step, moment by moment, minute by minute, day by day is the call of a follower of Christ. And when we find that, you know what, I didn't in this moment or I didn't this day or I haven't this week or I haven't this month or God forbid I haven't grown this year or even worse this decade, then when we realize it, we repent. We receive His forgiveness and we walk forward in faith seeking to deny ourselves more and more. Why? Well, we're to be a self-denying people because we're to be like our Savior. He came not to be served, but to serve. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So he was in the form of God. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Self-denying. I 
It needs to be said right now. But you need to have others in mind and Christ in mind. That will help you to act charitably towards one another. And when one another have differing opinions about things that you are very passionate about. Christian who is denying self can give charitable love to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He knows how to use that tongue and those fingers when they're typing and to think better of others than they think of themselves. Self-denying. It often leads to a kind of death, doesn't it? Death to self. And that's where Jesus leads us next, not only self-denying, but cross-bearing. Second, a disciple of Christ is cross-bearing. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. And when we talk about cross-bearing, we're often too frivolous about this. We want to include everything into cross-bearing, everything that is in our life, and in that we minimize what Jesus is calling us to here. Cross-bearing is not you and I carrying the routine things of life. Cross-bearing is not even you and I carrying the hard things of life with, a, with sickness or a wayward child or an unbelieving spouse. Those could be called thorns in the flesh, but they're not the cross-bearing that Jesus is speaking of here. Now, are, are they difficult? Absolutely. And are you to face them as a Christian? Absolutely. And is it part of your Christian discipleship and walk to face them as a Christian? Absolutely. But when Jesus is talking about cross-bearing here, that's not what he has in mind. You'll notice that Jesus speaks here of activity. These aren't things that just come to our lives passively, but there is an activity here. He says, take up your cross. This is not something passively happening to us, but action on our part. We take up our cross. That is, we willingly suffer for the sake of Christ and His kingdom. We live in such a way that we actively, not simply wait passively, but actively, willingly sacrifice our possessions and our wealth and our time and our relationships and our comforts and our very lives. For the sake of Christ and His kingdom. It means that we willingly suffer ridicule. And shame and rejection and persecution. And, and even death for the sake of Christ. Not brazenly. Not stupidly. Not with a martyr's complex. But willingly. Jesus was speaking to these disciples. The cross was not some trinket that they would have thought of hanging around their neck or some kind of sign that they would have put over their mantles. No, they would have understood what Jesus was speaking about, and what he was speaking about was very serious. When they heard cross, they would have thought about shame. They would have thought about embarrassment. They would have thought about torturous death. 
when you take up your cross, you're carrying on your back the very means of your death. As John MacArthur said, it's a kind of death march. Discipleship is a death march. But that seems extreme. Yes. But that's the only way to receive Christ. I can't have Christ in moderation. Can't say, give me only part of Christ. I want his cross for me, but not my cross for him. He doesn't give that option. You and I must receive him wholly. We can't receive just a part of him. We can't have him as our priest, but not as our Lord. We can't have him as a sacrifice, but not willingly sacrifice for him. We can't receive the privileges and the blessings of Christ without the duties that come with it. Duty is not a four-letter word in the Christian's vocabulary. The Christian path is self-denying. It's cross-bearing. It's willingly sacrificing our lives for Him. It is very, very practical. This is not theoretical. This is not pie-in-the-sky kind of philosophical thinking. This is very real-life practical today, in this minute, in this hour. Serving Him with my personal life. This is not what super-Christians do. This is what Christians do. Third, He says, follow me. And the command is in the present tense. Follow me. It's a continual act. It's something I have to be continually engaged in that has to be done over and over and over. It's not a one-time occurrence. It's what I would call persistent plodding. It's a way of life. A persistent way of just walking one step by one step. And that often is all we feel like we can do. Just take one more step of, of faith and trust in Him. And He gives the strength for it. And we look down that path and it, what we see is a path of trial. And we see a path of suffering. And we even see a path of persecution and a path of death. And we think that seems insurmountable. That seems impossible. Just that persistent plotting, that, that taking the next step and following him where he leads. And he promises you, dear Christian, lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. He, he, he's with us. He gives us the strength in the moment to keep going. It takes courage, it takes conviction. Takes commitment to follow Jesus. Some of you are watching this this morning are heroes to me. This I think what I have seen you continue to go through and to continue to persistently plod after Jesus. It is 
seems superhuman. In some ways it is. Because the Spirit has given you strength and has equipped you and Jesus is leading you and carrying you forward. And you just keep taking that next step. You just keep following your Lord. Church needs more such heroes, more persistent, plodding Christians. Not lackluster, lukewarm, languishing confessors of Christ. It has plenty of those. And those do nothing to change the world. Self-denying, cross-bearing, persistent, plodding Christians can turn the world upside down. Am I such a disciple? Am I such a disciple? Do I value Christ above all other things? Can I say with the psalmist, who have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire beside you, O Lord. Can I say that? How dynamic would be our witness and how lively our fellowship and how honoring our worship and how glorifying our lives if we were all asking ourselves that question every day. If we were primarily concerned and more concerned with our own lack of unfaithfulness. Too often we're too concerned about what we believe is the lack of Concern in others for faithfulness. We think so little in terms of our own lack of unfaithfulness. Consider others better than yourselves. During World War II in Nazi Germany, there was a fighter pilot for Germany. His name was Adolf Galland, and Galland flew 705 missions, 705 missions for Nazi Germany as a fighter pilot. He won over 105 aerial battles, and he shot down over 105 other planes. He was a great hero throughout Nazi Germany. Adolf Galland, though, had a weakness, and his weakness was cigars. He loved to smoke cigars. And so Field Marshal Goering gave Adolf Galland a loan permission to be the only pilot in all of Germany that could actually smoke in his cockpit. He was given that permission. Adolf Hitler wanted to use Adolf Galland for propaganda purposes and so he instructed that there be pictures taken of him and that movies be shot of him so that they could use those to encourage the citizens of the Third Reich. But he had one qualification. 
He didn't want any pictures or any movies taken of Adolf Galam with a cigar in his mouth. Why, you ask? Because he was concerned about the negative moral impact that might have upon the children of Germany. Lord, search me. Help me to know where there is a lack of faithfulness in me. Lead me in confession and lead me in repentance that I might give more glory to Christ. That's the cry of the Christian. Am I denying myself? Am I picking up my cross? Am I persistently plodding after my Lord? Am I in daily discipleship, daily denying myself, daily picking up my cross, daily plodding after Him? That's the path of discipleship in Christ. Now here's the question, right? Is it worth it? This doesn't sound like much fun. This doesn't sound very easy. Where are you leading us, Lord, down a path of suffering? That doesn't sound good. True. But it's a momentary path of suffering. It's a momentary hard path. As has been said, the cross before the crown, but the crown comes. And that is where Jesus leads us, both in life and in this passage. Notice he gives us these four statements immediately after saying, this is what it looks like to be a disciple of mine. He's given these very hard admonitions to us, these exhortations, these instructions. And now he's going to give us the sweetness. He gives us three fours. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You lose all, you gain all. You keep all, then you lose all. That's the math of the kingdom. That is, this is how you find life. Not ultimately lose it. This is what is so often missed by those that are outside of Christ when they're looking at the Christian faith. They say, I don't want to lose my life. There are things I like about it. That seems far too costly. Yet, when you're in Christ, you look back on what you previously thought was life and you think that was just a living death. Every Christian can confess I've lost nothing. And I've gained everything. How many of us can testify that? Jim Elliot, who understood Christian discipleship, gave his life as a martyr for the sake of Christ, famously said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Second four, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? If he gains the whole world. Jesus says, take it all. Take, take the entire world, everything in it, and 
put it on one side of the scale. Take that dream job. Take a beautiful home and multiple vacation homes and hundreds of millions of dollars in your bank and a loving spouse like no one has ever enjoyed before. A family filled with children that honor and love their parents. Dream vacations, a happy life. Put it all on that side of the scale. And then take one thing and put it on this side of the scale. Your life. Your soul. And the scale will immediately crash to the floor on that side. All of this doesn't matter in comparison. Remember that parable in Luke 16 about Lazarus and the rich man. It's that only parable where Jesus uses a name, and so many think, and I agree that it's more than a parable. You have Lazarus who's gone to Abraham's bosom or Abraham's side in the glory. And you have the rich man who has been subjected to the pains of Hades. Remember, the rich man symbolically had the whole world. And in comparison, Lazarus had nothing. Remember what happens there in Luke 16, that rich man will call out to Abraham as he's squirming in torment and asking that he be let out. And Abraham says to him, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. You already gained. You chose the riches of the world over your soul. You chose self over others. You chose your Selfish lusts over giving glory to God. You've already received everything that you wanted. And the rich man hears this. He, he isn't comforted by that news. He doesn't look back and say, oh, I made the good choice. No, he calls out to Abraham and he says, Abraham, well then at least send a messenger down to my five brothers so they don't make the same horrific mistake that I've made. Worth it. He knows now that the path of discipleship in Christ is far better because he knows now that hell and heaven are very real things. Do you believe that heaven is real? The more we believe that heaven is real, the more we will willingly pick up our cross, we will willingly deny ourselves, and we will willingly follow Him. Because of Jesus' third four statement. He's giving us an argument. 
He knows the path that he's calling us to is a, is a hard path. This, this doesn't sound like very good news, Jesus. This doesn't sound very gracious or very loving. Oh, but it is more than good news. It is more than loving. It is more than gracious. And so he graciously gives us this promise. Here's the guarantee. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It's coming. Is it really worth it, Jesus? Is it worth it to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow after you down this path of self-denial and suffering when others seem to have all kinds of worldly enjoyments that surpass my own? And he says, yes. Because I'm coming in glory. I'm coming in the glory of my Father. It's a claim to deity. And this deity is a rewarder of those who seek him. He's going to come. And he will repay, he says. Nothing's lost. God is never a debtor. Whatever investment you make in kingdom things has eternally compounding interest. Whatever is lost here is gained there. In my study at home, my desk is pushed up against the wall. My study at home, but uh, I'm only supposed to work from on Fridays and Saturdays. Uh, but it's where I work from all the time right now. That's often where I sit down to do study for sermons and write out my outlines for sermons. And as my desk is pushed up against the wall, there is this picture that hangs on my wall over my desk as I sit there. It's a picture that Leah took. Remember the day she took it? It was a sunny Sunday afternoon in Dallas, Texas like most afternoons seem to be in Dallas, Texas. And she had just gotten a new camera. And so we were out exploring Dallas with her new camera. I was her photography lackey doing whatever she told me to do. And she was taking pictures of all kinds of different things. But there was a picture that I asked her to take. We were walking down this main thoroughfare in Dallas and on the sidewalk and there is this church that sat there on the corner and had this spire that rose up into the sky. And that spire seemed to, to dominate everything else in the landscape. And on that, that spire there is a clock face. And on that clock face, there are Roman numerals. And if you look at the Roman numerals in my picture, the big hand is on 
just a couple of ticks past 12, and the little hand is, is pointed at the Roman numeral 4. And then there are two words that sit behind those arms on the clock in bold black letters. Two words. Night cometh. Night cometh. It's taken from the Gospel of John and John 9 where Jesus says in there in the Gospel, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's a reminder to me. Every time I sit down at my desk, I look up at that picture. And it says to me, Jason, use your time well. Night cometh when you can no longer do works for the sake of the kingdom. Use your time well. Night cometh when we can no longer do great works for the sake of the kingdom and store those treasures in heaven. This path is worth it. He will repay each person according to what he or she has done. You aren't saved by your works, but your reward will be according to your work. It was 20 years ago this week, some of you may have noticed, that John Piper gave the most famous sermon he's ever given. It has now been called the Seashell Sermon. I was standing there before a whole bunch of college students in Memphis, Tennessee. And in the middle of that sermon, he takes out a Reader's Digest article and he reads a story about a couple that decided to retire early and go to Florida and buy a boat and they spend all their days on their boat and walking the beaches looking for seashells. And Piper asks in that sermon the right question. When they stand before their maker their maker. And he says, what have you done? They are not going to hold up their seashell collection with pride. What have you done? It is discipleship in Christ that makes our lives worthwhile where what you and I do in this very moment matters for all of eternity. How you're living this minute matters for all of eternity. And if you're living your life in any other way than in discipleship to Christ, denying yourself, bearing your cross, following Him, then it is a wasted life. 
waste. But every single moment you invest for the sake of the kingdom, for the glory of your Savior, is compounding with interest in eternity. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. That's a life worth living. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that you give us the privilege of serving as lights in this world, giving glory to you and our Savior in the Spirit. If there are any listening this morning who do not know the pleasures of self-denial, the pleasure of cross-bearing, the pleasure of following Christ, we pray that you would open their eyes this morning they might see Christ Jesus as the risen Lord of glory. That they might bow before him, yielding their life to him so that they might actually live. And for those of us that have given our lives in Christ, we pray where we lack faithfulness, help us to deny ourselves more to pick up our cross again and afresh, and to follow persistently, plodding after our Savior step by step. May we not treat this life casually. For night cometh, and we want to give you glory with every breath. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.